to the book of James, New Testament book of James right after Hebrews, and what a powerful, slim book this is, and one that has so much to say to us. I've got some key facts written on an outline there in your bulletin, and together we'll be in James for a time, and I hope it is a growing learning experience for you, not just intellectually, but in your faith and experientially. So follow along with me now. I'll read James chapter 1, 1 through 4. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we pray indeed that we would have joy in the midst of our trials. Show us how now, and lead us in your truth, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. In 1963, Dr. Robert Bruce, a cardiologist, came up with something that was just would change cardiac medicine uh, totally. And what he did was he came up with what was called the Bruce Protocol, and this was a way to check the exertion of the heart. And the problem cardiologists were having back in the 60s is patients would come to them, and of course they would be at rest there in the office, and they wouldn't be able to measure the exertion of the heart or any kind of problems that happened while the heart was under exertion, under stress. And so he came up with what would be called the Bruce Protocol. And this consisted in hooking a patient up to an EKG and putting them on a treadmill, and as time went on, they would increase the incline of the treadmill and the speed of the treadmill and be able to see what was going on with the heart when it was under exertion. And this was a great diagnostic test because it was not advanced or invasive, and they could find out a lot of information. And of course, you know it now, not as the Bruce Protocol, but you know it as a stress test a stress test. And what happens is physically your heart is under stress. And as your heart's under stress, they can tell what kinds of problems you might be having. Well, just as a stress test operates physically, so trials operate spiritually as a stress test on our heart. You find out about yourself When you're under trial, when things don't go your way, it is a diagnostic with regard to where your heart is at. And to that, because you see here in this passage, I mean, this is really the most prominent passage in James. And we read there in verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And to that I say, no, thank you. I, I happen to like my easy suburban life. No thank you to a stress test. No thank you to a spiritual stress test. I would rather just live a good, wonderful, peaceful, and yes, comfortable life and not 
go under the trials or the stress that happens with those. And so, count it all joy? Um, Yeah, no thanks. That's our usual response. Your response is probably similar to mine. When we encounter hard things in our life, we just say, "Mm, no thank you, and we begin to work as quickly as we can to restore the status quo of comfort in our lives and resolve anything hard or the trials. But this is a passage that is not about the resolution of our trials. It's about an invitation to count it joy and to value the spiritual outcome of the trial as greater than anything we would lose in this life. In other words, what you gain in the trial is so valuable that we would count it all joy if we only knew the truth. And so we'll look together at how we can get there. Instead of no thank you, like me, to count it all joy, we'll see how we get there. And we start really with serving God. And what I mean by that is verse 1, and you notice here with James, there's not a big introduction. He is right into uh, the the body of his letter after one verse. But that first verse carries a lot of weight and importance in James. And what I mean by that, he writes in verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he calls himself a servant. Now that word can also be translated slave, but because of our associations with slavery in English, Uh, It's translated here for us as servant. But James is immediately confessing his view of God, his theology, and his anthropology at the same time. In other words, he sees God as exalted. He sees God as high and lifted up, providentially ruling and reigning over all the events of history and especially his life. After all, James was the brother of Jesus, or the half-brother of Jesus, as some call him. He saw Jesus grow up. They were in the same family. And could James not have said, guys, I'm related to the Son of God. That counts for something, doesn't it? He didn't see his physical uh, location in the same family as Jesus as a reason for promotion. Even though he was a leader in the church in Jerusalem, he didn't pull ranks, so to speak, because of who he was related to or his closeness to his brother Jesus. No, instead, he saw himself as a servant. He didn't seek advantage because of this relationship, but instead, he sees himself as a servant. So he knows something. And this is important because it's really a statement of humility. He knows the greatness of God, and he knows, and here's where it comes off the tracks for us, he knows his rightful place as a servant. So many of our prayers and thoughts are instructive in telling God what to do rather than submitting to what he is doing. And so... This idea of humility is important in the book of James, and we'll come back to it in chapter 4. But 
the beginning is something we should pay attention to here. James would have had every right to see himself in a higher position than other disciples, but instead he sees himself as a servant. He humbly understands his role in God's greatness. And he writes here to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. We'll get to that in a moment. But let's understand from the outset that if you are ever to count it joy when you meet trials of various kinds, if you're ever going to count it as joy, you must share James's view of God being exalted and we are servants of God. So a prerequisite, as it were, to count it all joy would be to think great thoughts of God, would be to understand that we have no place in second-guessing God and what He does, and as well to understand our place in the created order. Think great thoughts of God, think appropriately about ourselves. What do we do instead? We think low thoughts of God, we think high thoughts of ourselves, and then when we meet trials of various kinds, joy is the furthest thing from us. And it's a good reminder that this view that we are below God and appropriately thinking of ourselves, that humility is required, that's brought out in a minor prophet in the Old Testament, Obadiah. And in Obadiah, it's only one chapter, but it has these two beautiful verses which really challenge our pride. Verses 3 and 4 of Obadiah, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? You know, what a question. Who will bring me down to the ground? I'm high and lifted up. And you know, that describes really our culture, doesn't it? The wonderful innovations and different things that are happening and people think to themselves, we are great, and they don't think God is great. And in verse 4, God answers that. Who will bring me down to the ground? Obadiah 4. God says, though you're, you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Humility is the only option. You cannot get high enough. From God, He will pull you down. And what's said there in Obadiah is reflected in Genesis chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel. And you remember the story. Mankind is going to make a tall tower that reaches up into the heavens in order to make a name for themselves. And we read in Genesis 11:7, what did God have to do to see this tower? God had to come down. We can build huge monuments to ourselves to the greatness of humanity, but God still has to come down to see it. He is exalted. And if you are a prideful person, and this is what's difficult about pride, it is obvious to everyone except the prideful person. Prideful people, you can't tell them anything. And immediately you see James has every reason not to be told anything, and he is the, the one who is taking the lowest position as servant because he understands who God is 
and who he is. So serving God, that's the first step. You're going to count it all joy? Well, you cannot resist the greatness of God, and you cannot resist the low place we have below him. And then let's look now at counting it joy and what this means. So count it all joy, my brothers. In other words, this is in verse 2, consider it, have the perspective that this is joyful. Again, my perspective is no thank you. But the biblical perspective is to have joy when you meet trials of various kinds. So it's when, not if. And we have to recognize that all of us have had challenging things in our life. Some of us have had huge, challenging trials and difficult things. And some of us, it's a trial. When we go to H-E-B and, oh, they didn't have my kind of yogurt. This is a, a trial for me. It's so hard. It's, a, it's hard. I want to have compassion on that. Because trials are of various kinds, we read here. And they can be tremendously, excruciatingly painful for a long time. They can be short, quick, super painful. They can be the minor inconveniences that we struggle with. Uh, They can be big-time things that happen to us and befall us because we live in a fallen world. So you notice there, it's various trials, and you are going to encounter them. It's when you meet trials of various kinds, not if, it's when. And we're told here to have the perspective to count it all joy, not just part of it, but all of it, to have this perspective, why? Why would we, why on earth would we think that something hard and difficult happening to us would be a source of joy? Well, the Bible answers in the next verse, verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's the spiritual outcome that allows us to count it as joy. Now, the various kinds The trials, in other words, serve to test our faith in the various kinds. This is a very interesting. So if you have wandered off uh, with your attention span, bring it back for a moment because this is important. The various kinds, you can kind of think all of James is vignettes of the various kinds of trials that happen. And if you understand James that way, you really see the unity, because there's a relationship to the stylistically to the way James writes in the book of Proverbs, and you think these staccato, uh, independent paragraphs and sections of James, they actually all relate and have this unity because of the various trials. And just to kind of walk you through here uh, for a moment, you know, we think about Uh, The trial of temptation, that's in chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. So if you just have your Bible, I'll just take you on a, we'll we'll do a flyover here, a quick tour. So the various trials, understanding all of James through this lens, he gives it to us right at the beginning to help us. Uh, We can talk about the things that we receive 
uh, the gifts that God gives us or doesn't give us. That's in verses 16 through 18. We can think about encountering situations in verse 19 uh, through 25 where people don't do what they say they're going to do. That's a, a kind of trial. Verses, um, verse 27, what about being a widow or an orphan? That's a kind of trial. Being shown partiality, that's chapter 2, beginning part of chapter 2. That's trials of various kinds. Um, what about the struggle we have to unite faith and works? That's, that can be another trial. The things that we say, the things that are said about us or to us, that can be a trial. That's taming the tongue in chapter 3. Uh, the lack of wisdom is a trial in and of itself. That's at the end of chapter 3, our struggle with worldliness, chapter 4. And then really a business and financial side of things. Uh, chapter 4, 13 through chapter 5, verse 6, if you have a financial loss or a business setback, these are various trials. And then uh, our lack of patience is a trial. Our suffering, our grumbling and complaining, that's chapter 5, verses 7, 8, and 9. And of course, health struggles, uh, chapter 5, 13 through 18, where we're instructed what to do as we suffer a health crisis. So back to chapter 1, you see now these are all various trials that we might encounter, and we're told to count them as joy, count it all joy, back to one, two, why? Because of the spiritual outcome it gives us. And the spiritual outcome is more valuable than the comfort that we have. Um, now, I've told this story before, and I do, I have a limited a collection of stories that embarrass myself. Now I am working on collecting more, so just want you to know that. But I have told this story before. Tracy and I had a family that was newer to the church. This is years ago. Newer to the church, and uh, we have them over for dinner, and the kids go outside to play, of course, unsupervised. And I'm, we're at the table, so it's just adults, and, and they're... They're asking me questions about the church and where's the church, you know, kind of coming from theologically. And I'm like, finally, all that seminary, all that, all those years of study, it's finally, I get to use something that I learned. So I'm, I'm waxing eloquent and this is going well and I can tell they're going to they're going to commit to the church. You know, this is just great, and I'm being used by the Lord. And in the next moment, I'm under the table, and the chair I was sitting in collapsed. And it was so embarrassing and so humbling. And I had repaired this chair several times, and... God must have providentially thought, well, you talked enough. You're going to stop now. And just as God reached out and touched that chair, He can reach out and touch your life. He touched Jacob's 
hip, and he touched the chair I was sitting in as it collapsed, and he can touch your life. He can bring hard and difficult things into your life, and we are to consider this as joy. Why would we do that? Because God loves us enough to develop in us steadfastness. And the problem we have is we just don't value the spiritual outcome over and against that which we lose. That's my struggle. That's probably your struggle. We're just, I mean, let's be real. We're just too worldly. We would rather be comfortable. And there are times God will reach out and touch your life and give you something hard, give you a trial, and he does it motivated by love because this steadfastness is so much more important than our comfort and then our well-being, our self-perceived well-being. And we could say God is making us well. He is doing it spiritually. And so to count it as joy is to have this perspective. We have joy because what we lose in the trial is not as valuable as that which we gain spiritually. Steadfastness. Steadfastness is that endurance, that determination to have a faith that goes all the way to the end. It is a faith, this steadfastness that God develops in us. And, and here's, here's the thing. You're not necessarily going to learn this in a Bible study. You're going to learn it experientially. You're going to learn it experientially. You're going to learn that what you gain in a trial is better than that which you lose. Now, you may not have that perspective in this life. What the trial you encounter may be so painful that you can only, maybe you come one-third of the way or two-thirds of the way of understanding and seeing that what you have gained spiritually is greater than that which you have lost. Maybe. But in heaven, it's a guarantee because we'll have perfect sight and vision to know providentially this. There, there's just so much mystery to how God does what He does. We cannot explain it. And so I want to counter any notion that any of us would say to each other, you know, I share, oh man, you know, they were out of my yogurt. And then you say to me, count it all joy, my brothers. Or I share something devastating with you devastatingly hard for me, and then you whoop out, count it all joy. You, you know, Alan, your problem is you just need to count it all joy. And, and what we're really skipping there, I think in the, in the lack of mercy and compassion that we're called to have for each other, what we're really skipping there is this, is, is valuing the steadfastness over the loss of our comfort. And I just want to encourage you as you interact with other people, because you have people who have hard things. I mean, to live is to lose in this fallen world. And you have people in your life who have experienced hard and difficult things and trials. And I just want to encourage you to enter into that pain with them. 
to be with them in the midst of their pain. Not to solve it. And, and you can understand that you can enter into that pain because God is at work. He is developing steadfast, steadfastness within them. He is strengthening their faith. And to some extent, it's none of your business. He is developing that strength in them, and it is our business to walk with each other in those hard times. We can do that. We can do that. You don't have to solve it. Some of the best things I've learned, I've learned all by myself, in part through my own foolishness and stupidity. And that's probably true for you too. And so the spiritual effect of these trials is something that we don't need to help along. God's at work, remember that, and encourage people, encourage people in their faith uh, as you walk through with them in painful times. You know, that was humbling to have that chair give way under me, out from under me. And there's probably something in your life, you're really, you know, I was trusting in that chair. That chair betrayed me. There's probably something in your life you are over-relying on. It could be your ability to organize your life or to administrate things, or it could be the amount of money you put away or something like this, and you're trusting in that thing instead of looking to the Lord. And so my encouragement to you is we count it joy because what we gain, so much better than what we lose in this world. And... Uh, we have to have this humble attitude of that God is, has a right to do what He wants with our life. He's our Creator. He's our Redeemer. And the last point here is steadfast to the end. And so it is this faith, this testing of our faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness is faithfulness all the way to the end, all the way to the end. And that's important in a world where you have churches that have walked away from biblical truth. Uh, to be steadfast is to go all the way to the end, not to change your doctrine. And what we read here in, is that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness, and then steadfastness has to have its full effect that we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I'm going to offend you for a moment. We all lack something, all of us. On this side of heaven, all of us lack something. And we don't like being told that. We don't like, and that takes us back to that humility. You see, all of us have a ways to go, perfect and complete. You can think of this mature faith, and you can think of the end point of what we call the sanctification project. You see, on this side of the cross, once you become a Christian, and by the way, this whole exposition here is only for Christians. You see it, count it all joy, what? My brothers. If you're not a Christian, you cannot count it joy when you encounter trials unless those trials bring you to Christ. And so, God is working on our hearts he wants us to be perfect and complete. That's not going to happen in this life. We're going to get 
We're going to change. God's going to work on our character, but it won't be complete until we're in heaven. But he desires to bring us along in the faith, and to bring us along, he will employ trials in your life and in my life, hard things. And again, what we gain spiritually is so much more important than that which we, we lose. And uh, when I was in high school, back in the 80s, we had a strength and conditioning coach, okay? Strength and, this had not been invented yet. This was like cutting edge. And we were all, all the, all the young men, of course, we were in awe of our strength and conditioning coach. He did not need a resume. He didn't even need to interview. He just needed to show up with his big muscles, and he would have gotten the job. Anyway, so we had this strength and conditioning coach, and we had a weight room that was kind of like an afterthought. I don't know if you needed to get a tetanus shot to work out there, but, you know, it's kind of, you get the idea here. And he came into that weight room and he posted a board at the top. So when you walked into the weight room, you could see this board on the top, and it was divided into three sections. It was a, it was a white board divided into three sections, and at the top it said 200, 250, 300 plus was on the board. And we came to find out that we could record our name in immortality and high school greatness by bench pressing 200 pounds, 250, 300. And so we didn't care about college or, you know, whatever. We wanted our name on the board. We wanted to be able to bench press that amount and thus have our name recorded, and everybody who came into the weight room would know the greatness of our strength. So he would post these workouts. I mean, this was cutting edge. He would post the workouts. We would do the workouts, and we willingly did it. Was it hard? Absolutely. But we had our eyes on the prize. And the day came, and let me just remind you, it's not bragging if you can do it. <laughs> and I bench pressed over 200 pounds and squeaked in and got my name on that board. And of course, if I tried it now, something devastating would happen. <laughs> but my point in telling you that story is simply this. We were not afraid of hard work. We were not afraid of resistance training. Why are we so allergic to it as believers? Physically, you understand you will lose muscle mass unless you engage in resistance training. What has happened to evangelical Christianity that we are so allergic to hard times or to persecution? I mean, think about it for a moment. James writes, verse 1, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. He was a leader in the Jerusalem church. And what happened to the Jerusalem church? Acts 6, Stephen is martyred. The Jerusalem church scatters. And it spreads the gospel. What are we so afraid of resistance training? 
Why is our greatest fear that something bad would happen to us or something bad would happen to our loved ones? I mean, this is a real fear. But what if the very thing we are trying the most to avoid in our life is the very thing God brings into our life on purpose by His providence as a result of His mercy and grace to grow us spiritually, to make us stronger? And so I hope you don't make your life purpose avoiding anything that makes you uncomfortable. But that when you encounter various trials, you can count it as joy. Because you can say, "Mm, this is my spiritual workout. God is helping me to achieve strength spiritually in the form of steadfastness. And I'll close with this. This applies two ways. I can think of two ways to apply this. One is how we pray. How we pray. And my encouragement to you is, do not just pray for relief from the hard thing that is happening to you. Acknowledge that maybe God has brought, by His providence and infinite wisdom, this hard thing into your life for a purpose. So don't just pray for the relief of it or the restoration of your comfort. Instead, pray that whatever the trial is would have its good effect on your heart and that you would be humble to receive what God wants to teach you. Does that make sense? So, you know, if I get cancer, I mean, I'll I'll get real with you for a moment. If I get cancer, come see me in the hospital. Pray that I would heal, but then uh, be healed, but then append to that prayer. And Lord, if you're going to take him, if he's not going to get better, would you produce steadfastness in his life? Where is that prayer in evangelicalism today. We've got to pray that way. Don't be allergic to the hard things in our life. Embrace them. Is it hard? Yes. Is it painful? Yes, absolutely. Second way to apply. So it changes the way we pray. If we're going to count it all joy, doesn't it? We don't just pray our highest prayer for relief, but we pray God's purpose would be done. Second way to apply this. Christians talk a lot about boundaries, don't they? A lot about boundaries. Have you heard people talk? Let me see. Boundaries? You know what I'm talking about? I got a definition here for you. Boundaries are personal guidelines people set to help them maintain healthy habits and relationships and to protect themselves according to their comfort levels and values. Boundaries, for the most part, good. Except we have a salvation that was achieved by the violation of our Savior's every boundary. You see, we have a salvation that comes through suffering. And likewise, it is our suffering when we meet trials of various kinds that achieves spiritual good in our life. And so my encouragement to you that way is don't overplay the boundaries thing. Sometimes I think Christians are so far from meeting a point of resistance. They're so focused on their own comfort and their suburban dreams or whatever that we are so far from a place of spiritual exertion that it is not doing us any spiritual good. So my encouragement, boundaries, yes, use wisdom, but don't make it an idol in your life. You're not made of glass. Get out there. 
exert yourself spiritually, meet the trials of various kinds, count it as joy because that which you lose is not as valuable as that which you gain. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Let's help each other in doing that. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, so much for us here indeed as we think through all that you've done for us in Christ. We thank you we can count it all joy. Help us, Lord, help us to do this. Give us spiritual insight to value the steadfastness more than the world, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.